How's everybody doing? Good. Uh, I thought we'd uh, have a couple people, or actually kind of open it up, if anyone wanted to share what the Lord taught them at the conference this weekend. So I've asked a couple people ahead of time, but if anyone else wants to jump in, um, you'll get an opportunity to do that. So I'm going to have Steve go first. Give it up for Mr. Sanders. All right. Um, so the last couple of years, uh, we've had to miss a conference due to a ministry that we're involved with. And so this year, uh, I was really excited whenever uh, we were able to come to the conference. It's always been super good. Uh, so Friday afternoon, I was driving home on Highway 70 out here. And when I drove by the church, I looked at the, at the church, Mike, and, and I just got excited. I said, man, what's going to happen there this weekend? You know, I, I, knew, I knew God would be speaking to somebody, you know, probably everybody that was here. I was so excited when, 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 I, when I drove by the, the, the church. So, so we got here, and, and, you know, the conference was great. Uh, you know, Pastor Mike got up and talked about a, an attribute of God. And typically this attribute is not an attribute most Christians even want to think about, and the world sees it as a negative. But he did a great job developing it and showing it how it's not only good, but it's right for God to have that attribute, and it's to our benefit. I'm not going to tell you what it is because you need to listen to the sermon or the message if you weren't here, okay? And, and then David Snyder got up and talked about uh, some things. And uh, David, you really spoke to, uh, to Sandy and I some things that, that we're dealing with. And what you said is going to help us a lot, okay? And then uh, uh, Dr. Adams and uh, uh, Joe Morrill, wow. You know, they, they all did a great job. But I want to camp out on what Pastor Joe Braden talked about. A couple of points, okay? He talked about the church, okay? Two things he said. Uh, the first thing he said is when we're saved, we're not called to be a member of the church, but a church, right? And he said you can't be pro-kingdom of God and anti-church. You know, and that told me I need to be a member of a church. And I'm going to go more specific and say not a church, but this church. This church is my church. I need to own it. Okay? I need to be doing what God has called me to do in this church. You know, he says something about, you know, the, the, the Bible compares you know, us as, as members of a body. This is a body and we're members. And if the eyes don't show up, we don't function as we should. Or if the arms don't show up, we don't function as we should. We need you. We, we need to own this church, okay? And so I just want to encourage you, think about that. Uh, what's God, why has God called you to this church, and what does God want you to do? Now, at the same time, you can get very, very busy doing church and lose focus, right? My spiritual mentor used to say something. He said the problem with a lot of Christians, they start majoring on the minors and forget about the majors, Right? And you can get so busy doing life, doing marriage, doing children, doing work, doing other activities that you almost lose focus on what the major points of, of, are going on in the church. And probably no one understands this better than this man standing here. Probably January 7th, he was hit with a freight train, and he's, he's trying to live this out, right? And so uh, Pastor Joe talked about it. He went into Acts chapter 2, verse 42, and he said there were four main things that early Christians were called to do and they focused on, okay? I want to talk about real quick, I promise I won't be long, Mike. 
But the first one is, he said we need to be involved in the apostles' teaching. Of course, uh, Pastor Joe Braden said we need to be involved in the Word, and we need to hear these men whenever they, they preach and whenever they teach. We need to be involved in the Word. Are you in the Word? That was the first thing that's listed in that verse. Okay? The second thing was fellowship. We need to be in fellowship. And I love the life groups because they help us go deeper in fellowship than we do here on Sunday morning. They are great. Okay? And I see how the last several life groups studies we have uh, really emphasize what we talked about this weekend. I, I like the way this whole thing integrates. We need to be in fellowship. We need each other. Okay? I need you here. Okay? I needed to see Brian Kneebone at the conference this weekend, okay? I needed that. I, I, I need Jake. I need to see Jeff here. If, if you're not here, you know, I'm not complete in my worship at this church. We, we all need to be in fellowship. The third thing he said, and it's in this verse, is breaking of bread. And, of course, he said at this time, it's really before, you know, we, we instituted the Lord's Supper, right? And we get a little piece of crumbly dry bread and we get this grape juice that tastes terrible after you brush your teeth, okay? So don't, so don't come around me the first Sunday of the month because I don't brush my teeth before I come to church because that grape juice is terrible. But, but we, need to be, uh, we need to break bread together. And that's the other thing I like about our life groups. Not only do we study the Word, but we have snacks. Sometimes we have meals. We break bread together, right? And that just increases our fellowship. There's nothing like sitting around the table visiting with people to really get to know people, right? And then the last thing he talked about or is in the verse is prayer. We need to be in prayer. That really spoke to me. I need to be doing more praying. You know, I, I sat back there at the sound booth yesterday afternoon, and I heard an African-American minister sitting down so he wouldn't levitate, I think. <laughs> but what is it about African-American preachers? I'm glad I don't have to follow that today, Mike. But, but I heard that man pray. And that man prayed for people who were in pain in this church, physical pain. How often do we pray for physical healing for, for people in our church? Okay? We need to be in prayer. And that really spoke to me. I need to be doing more in my prayer life. I'm going to confess, right? Uh, I didn't leave feeling guilty, but I did leave feeling convicted yesterday. And that's what I like about this conference. So, so I want to encourage you. Think about those four things. And segue, Wednesday night, we are having prayer meeting. And last month, we had a prayer meeting for one of the best ones we've ever had. Okay? I want to encourage you. Think about these four things, and if you want to start getting involved in prayer, we have opportunity this Wednesday night. Thanks. Paul Stevens? So I uh, agree with a lot that uh, Steve noted, a lot of the emphasis on prayer and just being in the Word. Uh, but I think for me, uh, as kind of a culmination of all of that throughout the conference, uh, the item that, uh, as Dave noted, you know, maybe if we're on the morning life group, we've heard it before, but I think it's something that is uh, fundamental that deserves a rehearing. Uh, so, uh, one of the things that Dave talked about is an aspect of, you know, idols in our life and, and struggling with that and how that culminates. Uh, 
really into, at least for me, uh, some verses here that I'm going to read, and then I'll kind of summarize. There is none righteous, not even one. There is none who understand. There is none who seeks for God. All have turned aside. Together they have become useless. There is none who does good, not even one. Their throat is an open grave. With their tongues they keep deceiving. The poison of asps is under their lips. Those whose mouth is full of cursing and bitterness, their feet are swift to shed blood, destruction and misery are in their paths, and the paths of peace they have not known. There is no fear of God before their eyes. Now we know that whatever the law says, it speaks to those who are under the law, so that every mouth may be closed and all the world may become accountable to God. Now, for all of us, uh, hopefully, you know, for the families and such, God has called us, his spirit has touched us and saved us. But I think one of the things, at least for me, that uh, has been an ongoing thing is this aspect of, you know, we are great sinners saved by a great Savior. And by that, especially as husbands and fathers, it means that much more for us to keep in mind as we interact with our wives and our kids and, you know, getting angry with them because of something they did or didn't do. You know, why didn't they, you know, pick up the room or why didn't they act appropriately in public, which, you know, always happens, I'm sure. Uh, but really coming down to the aspect of that you're getting yourself right because you have been saved that much more than what you are trying to point them to. And that's what you need to be focused on, not the aspect of what it may look like or, you know, that it's upsetting and such. They've upset God by their disobedience more than they've upset you. And you have been forgiven that much more than they have done. They've done more to God than they've done to you. And keeping that in mind and forgiveness for them and forgiveness for your wife or realizing that it wasn't them in the wrong, it was you and your reaction. And just really keeping the focus on your relationship to God more than what they do or don't do. It's you trying to point them into that same relationship. So, thanks. There's so many things from this weekend's conference that touched and moved through Brian and I's life especially in this time. And we've been called throughout the years to reevaluate our hearts, assess where we are with our walk with God. And we're called to love. So I've personally been struggling with how to walk in a loving way, especially 
when I'm seeing some things that I know could be done differently that might be better, and I want to put it in that box, and it doesn't want to go in that box. Um, so the past two days, I've learned more about humility, more about reacting to my family, my friends, my neighbor, even one with the dog that barks all day. Um, how to handle these things in a loving manner. I have been asking, how do I incorporate the things that I'm being told to do of how to walk my walk with Jesus? How do I do that? How do I live that out? Each speaker, Friday and yesterday, gave me those tools, gave many of us those tools. God enables us in ways we don't think about. Taking that moment of someone telling you, hey, just, you know, take a moment, take a breath, think it through, give it to God. That's a tool. And we may be hearing these things over and over and over again, but sometimes it's that one more person or one more song or one more quote or one more Bible verse that fits that key into the lock of our heart and opens it up and enables us to use that tool and realize this does fit in my hand, this does fit in my life. One of the biggest things that I also struggle with and many of us struggle with are excuses. Excuses not to be in church where we are needed and we need each other. Jesus didn't give us any excuses when he died for us. He deserves our love so that we don't give him any excuses. And I need to walk that out. And there's so many other things I could talk about that happened. But I think the most important thing is to keep coming, keep allowing yourself to be open to those keys to be turned. And let each of us help each other in our walk so that we can be stronger Christians and stronger for each other and stronger for God. Well, I just, I just echo everything that was just said. Um, it was interesting for me, and we had these speakers, and all these tools, as Aurora said, were given in different aspects and things that we need to focus on. Um, Steve talked about um, being more in prayer, being not guilty but convicted of, I need to be doing these things that I'm not doing. And boy, you know, all of that was there. But what really, really struck me was Pastor Morrow at the end. And he talked about all these things and made reference to the previous speakers and talked about all of that. But then he capped it off and he talked about that it has to be done with the anointing. Now, that's kind of a different speak, but I think in a, a word that, that, that I would understand it is walking in the spirit and being spirit-led. And because you can do all this stuff and even pray and do all of that, but if it's not really focused on my personal relationship with Christ and the spirit leading me and guiding me, it can be kind of playing church. And... Um, 
what was amazing is that he talked about the strongholds that get in the way. And he talked about his church, that we're not much different than them. Money, the pursuit of things, the idols that get in the way of that. And he really focused on money and the love, not money itself, but the love of money. The pursuit and work gets in the way. Or working really hard or sacrificing and, and then church gets put to the side. Sports. We're willing to go and not go to church so we can go to a sporting event or whatever, but we won't do the other thing around. It made me, when he was talking about it, it made me think about Eric Little, who was a minister, sacrificed four years to run in the Olympics, one race, 200 meters. And then it comes to, it's the final, and he's, and he's going to win the gold medal. And all oh, the thing is, it's on Sunday morning. And he refused to do it. And um, the big thing that, that, that struck me in all of this was not only the idols, but walking in the spirit. And what was really, and, and, and the final big point was, is he had a vision here for us. He talked about the fact that when he was here two years ago, just as a participant, God spoke to him that he was going to come and talk, and then Mike calls him, and he comes and talks. And then he's, and everybody had a list of things that we needed to do, and he had his list of things to prepare to go out and evangelize, and then he got off of that, and he really talked about us walking in the Spirit. And he had a vision for us. He talked about the fact that seeing this place filled with multicultural Asians and blacks, seeing this place filled. Last night, Ryan didn't come because he had to work, and it was legit. Last, last, and, so, and I'm serious. And, and it was good that that happened, because last night, Ryan came to our house and had dinner with Let and I. Ryan shared a dream he had. Liberty was in this big cathedral, and it was filled with multicultural people. That wasn't a coincidence. God has a vision for us. And I think we're at a crossroads. I really do. Everything that Pastor Morrow talked about has been on my heart for the last couple of weeks, months. It's been a real burden. Um, I didn't know how or when or how to say it, but he was that voice. And it's the message for me, and it's the message for all of us. I go back to Luke 18, where Jesus is talking to, or Matthew, excuse me, Matthew, um, 19, where Jesus is talking to the rich young man, and the rich young man wants to follow Jesus, but he's got all these other things going on. And Jesus tells him, sell everything you have and come and follow me. And in the end, he tells the apostles, well, we have left everything to follow you. And Jesus affirms them and talks about the fact that you're going to be with me in heaven, and this is all part of the sacrifice, and the reward is coming. You know, for me, the question is for me, and Steve made it, and it's in my heart, and it's a challenge for all of you. 
Have you really left everything behind to follow him? Are you really putting church first? Because church is, this, this is the body. This is the body of Christ. Do sports get in the way to pursuing my career or retirement and sacrificing all of that for money and all the other things, and yet this becomes secondary? Um, my dad was in, a, was in a, before my dad died, he was in a church after he gave his life to Christ. He was in a big mega church in California. They had life groups like we did. And there was a rule that if you came and you wanted to become a member or an, a regular attender at the church, you had to go to life group. If you didn't go to life group, the pastor basically told you, there's another church down the street you can go. We just don't want people here who are going to come to church. We want people who want to get connected and get connected to ministry and get connected to one another. And he recognized how important that was because it takes sacrifice to do those other things just to come this Sunday morning. And I think the call is, are we willing to make the sacrifice for the vision that God has for us here? And it's called walking in the Spirit and putting the body first, even over our own lives. Obviously, the whole conference was amazing. Um, something that God really spoke to me on, it was a really great reminder, was what David Snyder talked about um, he talked about how our sin, like the um, things that we're struggling with, are oftentimes surface effects of a deeper issue underneath. And it was a really good reminder that probably some of the sins that I'm dealing with in my own life right now are due to a imbalanced love of myself, and I am creating idols, basically. So I'm putting my own comfort and my own love of myself on a pedestal, and so I'm, in my mind I'm complaining and griping about things that when really I should be finding my comfort and my strength in the presence of God and in his nearness and in the fact that I should know that he is ever-present, ever caring for me, allowing things in my life because he's molding me and shaping me, and, you know, he always does what is best for me um, because that's his heart. So for me to gripe and complain about things that I don't like is to go against him and to exalt my own comfort, my own flesh. Um, and so it was a really good reminder, and I'm really thankful for your talk, David. All right, will you all um, stand with me? Let's read from Hebrews chapter 10, starting in verse 24. And let us consider how to stir up one another to love and good works, not neglecting to meet together, as is the habit of some, but encouraging one another and all the more as you see the day drawing near. Let's pray. Lord, we thank you that um, we had an amazing conference, and we had an amazing conference because you're an amazing God that gives many gifts to his children to use those gifts to bless others, to minister to others. So we thank you. We thank you for the speakers. 
um, who kind of got the upfront uh, spotlight, Lord, um, but also for the people that were doing all the background stuff that made it happen and made it possible for us to have a good time and be comfortable and, and enjoy ourselves, Lord. And we thank you, God, that your spirit is the spirit um, who convicts us, that you send your spirit to convict us of sin. You send your spirit, Lord, to convict us where um, we're not doing things that are pleasing to you. And we thank you, God, that your spirit is called the comforter, that he comforts us um, in our sorrow. He comforts us uh, in our time of need, that he is uh, one who ministers to our heart. So, Lord, uh, do what you want today through your word. Help us uh, to hear from you and that you would be glorified in our midst. We pray this with the authority that we have in Jesus. Amen. I think um, a good example, and it wasn't even planned really, but a really good example of 1 Corinthians 12. You all know what 1 Corinthians 12 is about? Just one person knows 1 Corinthians 12. You don't have to turn there. In fact, you can't turn there. That's kind of cheating right now. It's about the body, right? The hand can't say to the foot, the ear can't say to the eye, right? <clears throat> and this wasn't even planned, but when Sandy was up here um, trying to read from her devotional, right? Now you got your glasses on, right? But she wasn't able to read it. So what did she do? She came over to Laura, and Laura read it. And what was Laura like? Was Laura like, get away from me, I'm like playing the piano right now, <laughs> No, like, I mean, as talented as Laura, she could probably do like five things at once, you know, including playing the piano. But she like kept playing the piano, but she like read the passage to help Sandy out, like was literally her eyes, right? And I think that is a good illustration of when we talk about um, being a part of the body, like what does that look like? Like us ministering to one another so, I mean, my thoughts on the Foundations Conference, to kind of recap briefly, um, I love it when the Lord has everyone's um, different talks, like, just kind of go perfectly together. And it's like a puzzle, and all the pieces fit perfectly. And I love it when, when people share, and they're like, oh, you know, what David said, this, that ministered to me, and what Joe said, that ministered to me. Like, because God is using the different speakers, his parts of the body, the mouth, to minister to people that are at certain situations and dealing with different things. Um, I love listening to podcasts. Um, I rarely turn um, the radio on in my car, unless my kids are in there, <laughs> um, because they probably don't want to listen to my podcasts. <laughs> But I love listening to podcasts, and I like um, listening to other preachers in the area preach. Um, in fact, if I meet a pastor, I usually ask like, if his sermons um, are, are podcasts. And I'll look for pastor sermons online, and I've even done that with Pastor Braden and Pastor Morrow and Pastor Adams. Sadly, none of them are on a podcast. So you can get to their sermons, I think, some of them at least, um, through the web. 
Um, but that being said, as I was pre preparing for the conference, you want to know what actually what I was looking for, forward to the most. As much as I love hearing teaching and love hearing preaching and love hearing other people um, share, I was actually looking forward even more so the fellowship. And <clears throat> it's the communion of the saints. Um, but, so don't hear me wrong. I mean, that should show you how excited I was because I love hearing all those guys that spoke. I mean, I was just eating it up, and they did an amazing, amazing, amazing job. But what I was looking for, and what I enjoyed even more so than hearing them speak, was just our time together. And they were gifted teachers. Um, I think we need, to, we need to do that more often. We need to be getting together as a church corporately uh, more often. So I hope when I roll out some opportunities for us to be together more corporately, you'll grab a hold of them, because I think it's important. And Pastor Morrow, um, I think we've got, I don't know if we have, do, where's Mike Kummerl at? Do we have them all up yet on the podcast or not, not yet? Okay. <clears throat> we like to clean them up a little bit before we put them up there for y'all. Um, that takes a little bit, but they will be up there probably sometime in the next week or so, and I would encourage you all if you didn't get a chance, or even if you did, like, go listen to them or listen to them again, because they were really, really good. But I liked what um, Pastor Morrow said regarding the Lord. Um, you know, he was here a couple years ago at the Foundations Conference. I don't know if you guys got the opportunity to meet him uh, a couple years ago. And um, he knows he, his connection is, is uh, Pastor Tyler, and, and even with that connection, he still came... <laughs> <laughs> oh, Greg's not even here to defend himself. Sorry, Melinda. <clears throat> and, and Pastor Morrow yesterday was more than one to take a few cheap shots at, at Pastor Greg, wasn't he? Man. And he was even throwing some shade my way, so wow, that was cool. <laughs> but, <clears throat> but think about it like from his perspective, like, the Lord laid it on his heart, and basically the Lord, if you weren't there when he was here two years ago as an attendee, not as a speaker, but as, as an attendee, the Lord told him, hey, you're going to speak at the conference. And then he, so then he was sharing like the next year rolled around and nobody emailed him. <laughs> so for two years, right, two years he was waiting, and the Lord had given him this word. And I'm not kidding you, like when I, um, everyone I emailed, um, except for, I think, David Snyder, but everyone else I emailed, they took a couple days, which I understand, but they took a couple days, maybe even a week, to get back to me, um, seeing if they could work out their schedules and different things. But um, Pastor Morrow, like, literally emailed me back within maybe the hour or something. Why? Well, because he knew the Lord had told him to do it, so as soon as he got that email, it was confirmation, like, hey, I need to rearrange, because that's what I'm supposed to do. God's already told me to do that. Um, and I appreciated his word uh, about what Dan touched on, the different shades and the different stripes. Welcome, are they welcome at liberty, right? Liberty, where there's freedom, a place of freedom for people. And so one of the questions I was asking myself is, is do we exhibit that? One, do we exhibit it ourselves? Like, do we have a freedom? Do we feel a freedom in Christ, because that's the name of our church, right? We used to have the little 2 Corinthians 3.17 in different places. Um, 
But do we, do, do we exhibit it in our own lives? And sometimes I can't even honestly, personally answer that for each one of you. If you experience freedom in Christ. So that, I mean, that's kind of the first thing. Um, but then the second thing is, do, do we exhibit it to others? Like, would they see that they have freedom in Christ? Either through our interaction with them, through our words to them, um, through our public witness to them, would they feel uh, welcome here? Would they feel that they have a place? Look at Galatians chapter 5. It says this. For freedom, in verse 1, for freedom... Christ has set us free. Now, I didn't actually get an, an opportunity to look in the different versions. I usually do that, so you're going to have to help me out, seriously. Um, who, does anyone got New King James? Okay, I forgive you, but um, no, I'm just kidding. <laughs> Go ahead, David, you got it open? What, what are the first two words? What, and then how does it go? That's even better, right? In liberty. NAS? Jake? Okay. NIV? All right, Mike? All right. Any King James people out there? No one that wants to raise their hand at least? That's all right. <laughs> I still love you. Okay, why not? Go ahead, King James. Read that one more time. Okay. What's it saying? I mean, it's talking about our liberty. It's talking about our freedom in Christ. And <clears throat> mine says, for freedom, Christ has set us free. For freedom, Christ has set us free. Now, if you just took that verse right there, and it's even not the whole verse, and you just kind of cut it right there, part A, for freedom, Christ has set us free. I mean, you could, get, you could use that as a license for all sorts of things that are not of the Lord, right? But if you go on, stand firm, therefore, and do not submit again to a yoke of slavery, right? And, and so what's he doing? Obviously, he's referencing what he's already talked about to the Galatians, the first uh, four chapters bringing us to this point. But what does it mean to have freedom in Christ? Like, think about... Think about slavery. Think about slavery for a minute. And New Testament slavery actually was a little bit different than what we might think of um, as American slavery. Um, but slavery, in one sense, is slavery. And you're not free. And you belong to another. And you have a master who gets to call the shots, and you don't get to call the shots. And so here... He's saying, don't submit again to a yoke of slavery. Like, Christ has set you free, really, from the demands of the law. I mean, Galatians is all about the law. And, he, and Paul says some pretty straightforward, blunt things. Some actually things that, wow, you, I'm not sure you should, well, you, you can, but you have to be careful how you describe some of the things that he talks about in Galatians. And if you've read Galatians recently, you know what I'm talking about. But here he's saying, Freedom, for freedom, Christ has set us free. Friends, you have freedom 
in Christ. But that freedom is not a license to sin. It's not a license to sin. You don't have freedom to go do whatever you want. You actually are free to, to really, to truly, to actually, to fully serve Jesus Christ. And guess what? The unbeliever isn't free. The unbeliever is, uh, is, is, is wrapped in chains. They're in chains. They're in bondage. And Christ, when he comes, guess what he does? He cuts those chains off. He takes those chains and he cuts them off and there is no more bondage. And I think sometimes, if we're not careful, you know what we can do actually? And here's what I've seen with people. They end up, um, like the chains are on the ground and they end up, they end up taking those chains and like wrapping themselves up and again, and again. Putting those chains around them once again. And they, they act like they're not free. They act like they're in bondage, but they're free. Christ has freed them. But they're living like the old way of life. They're living like the old man. And Scripture talks about the old man. What's that talking about? Adam. Because we're either in one of two people. We're in Adam or we're in Christ. Those are the only two options. And sometimes what happens with each one of us, we've all been there, I've been there, we live like we're part of the old man, Adam. But notice how the scripture says he's the old man, not because he's like really old. Okay, Why? Because, because that's gone, that's past. What we have now is Christ. Just as a side note, if you kind of want to get rid of Adam and, and stuff like that, some of these like things that, that God uses to impart truth to us really start to not make sense, by the way. It's hard to talk about Adam and Christ, and then, and then say, well, no, but Adam really wasn't a historical figure, and he really wasn't the first man. I mean, you just run into all sorts of weird stuff. Okay? If anything, the fact that Paul uses that, the fact that Jesus references these people gives validity to the fact of their historical reality. Anyway, just a side note. For freedom, Christ has set you free. Listen, Jesus wants every single person here to experience that freedom. And if you aren't experiencing it, it is available to you today in Christ. And some of you have wrapped up those chains and you're walking around like you're in the old man. And God doesn't want that. He doesn't want that for you. For freedom, Christ has set you free. And then he says, stand firm, therefore, and do not submit again to a yoke of slavery. See, you already had the yoke of slavery. Right? You had the yoke. And Christ took it away. And what did he give you in return? Freedom. Now, interestingly enough, he actually gives you his own yoke, right? But what does he tell you about his yoke? It's easy, right? The demands of the law, no person can meet. No person can meet it. But the yoke of Christ that he puts upon us, we have the freedom to be able to do and carry that yoke in Christ. So you have freedom available to you. My encouragement for each one of you here is to walk in that freedom. Live like you are in Christ. Be free. 
because you are truly free indeed. I'm totally off my notes here, folks. Sorry. <clears throat> um, let me say a couple more things. One, we're kind of going into <clears throat> like a part two of belong, where we've been looking at belong to Christ. Now we're going to look at belonging. Really, if you think about it, it's kind of like belonging to one another. That's really belonging to the church. But if we want to have a right view of the church, we have to have a right view of God. So do you have that? That's my, well, at this point it's probably my fourth question. I don't know. But do you have that? And the more our view of God becomes clear and more biblical, the more we get to know him and see him for who he truly is, and guess what? When, as that occurs, the more we'll love his bride. Why is this? Because we will love what God loves. We will love what God loves. We'll love the things that God loves. We'll hate the things that God hates. And if God sent his son to shed his blood for, you know what, not just the church, but for this church, for this church. We can see how valuable this church is to him. You want to know what's uh, sad today? The um, United Methodists are gathering, actually as we speak, maybe the meeting's already started, um, to decide on the issue of the lesbian, gay, bigender, uh, uh, bisexual, transgender plus issues today in their denomination. So they're convening today. Here's what the article says. They're the second largest Protestant denomination, by the way. Uh, it says, well, they'll likely fracture to divisions over same-sex marriage and the ordination of gay clergy. Um, while other mainline Protestant denominations such as the Episcopal um, Church and the Presbyterian USA churches, have embraced gay-friendly practices. The Methodist Church still bans them, even though acts of defiance by pro-LGBTQ plus clergy have multiplied and talk of a possible breakup of the church has intensified. Um, which is true if you follow any of it. Um, you know, they've acted against their own book of church order, and people have tried to bring charges against them, and then you know their higher-up um, church courts have dismissed the charges. Um, they have about 12.6 million members wor worldwide, including 7 million in the United States. Um, and uh, this article, it says this, the church technically forbids same-sex marriage and gay serving in the ministry. I mean, did you catch the word technically? Enforcement has been inconsistent. Yeah, that's... yeah. That's putting it lightly. Uh, clergy who support LGBT rights have been increasingly defiant, conducting same-sex marriages or coming out as gay or lesbian from the pulpit. In some cases, the church has filed charges against clergy who violated the bans, yet the UMC's judicial council has ruled against the imposition of mandatory penalties. So 864 delegates, um, both what they would call lay people and clergy, so we might just say members, and um, pastors are gathering together in St. Louis. 
uh, to decide this issue and, and to vote on it. <clears throat> Regardless of what happens, both sides agree that a split is almost guaranteed because of the different proposals, if you read them that are put forward, no one is going to be happy. There's no way to make both sides happy on this issue. Um, why is this important? Well, one, it's kind of going in our own backyard. Two, it's, it's showing the further erosion of the church. But three, here's the thing. Um, those 7 million people in the U.S., 12.6 million people worldwide, that represents, I don't know, tens of thousands of churches, right? Tens of thousands of churches that Jesus shed his blood for. And those churches are valuable to Jesus too. But guess what? They are not walking according to Galatians 5.1. They're taking that verse and twisting it. Many of those churches. Now, my own personal experience, which might not be yours, is most of the Methodists I've run into in St. Louis usually go to pretty liberal churches. Um, I've <clears throat> served with an organization, a missions organization, a number of years ago, and was able to serve um, a two different churches, both uh, United Methodist churches, um, one from, I think it was uh, Memphis, Tennessee, and the other from Oklahoma. Actually, both very conservative um, the leaders were believers, loved the Lord, I mean, just, you know, all the way down, which kind of gave me a little renewed hope for that denomination. Um, and so here, they're, I'm sure, have sent delegates themselves from these churches to try to speak truth into the matter. But when, when we talk about the church, there is the church universal, which is just how theologians would say, like, anyone who is a believer is part of, like, the church the church universal. But then you have what you might call the local churches, right? And anyone who's a believer is part of the universal church. Um, it's possible to be part of a local church and not be part of the universal church, right? You could actually go to church week after week after week, but you're not really a believer. True? And actually, the, the reverse could even be true. You could actually be a believer, and for a variety of reasons, most of them horrible, um, you might not go to a local church. But, but you could still be part of the universal church even if you don't go to a local church. Why is that? Because it's not about a physical location that decides your salvation, contrary to the Roman Catholic Church. But it is what God has done in your life and how you've responded to it? Have you claimed the blood of Christ for your own? Going to church week after week after week, that might be an evidence that you're saved. <clears throat> it doesn't mean that you're saved. It doesn't mean that you're not saved. It is, and boils down to, has God's grace through the blood of His Son been poured out upon you through that's what it comes back to. And we have tens of thousands, maybe even more. Uh, when we canceled church a couple weeks ago, uh, what was the count up to, Justice, on the website? Like 800 churches in the greater St. Louis area had canceled church, so that shows you there's at least 800, right, plus the ones that didn't cancel. I mean, there's a lot of churches. And guess what? You think about Revelation here. 
What does Jesus talk about? I mean, like, he is the king of each one of those churches. He is the king. It doesn't matter if those churches, well, I, that's almost a different discussion. At what point does the church stop ceasing to be a church, right? Because it can get to the point where what it believes is so heretical, you couldn't even call it a church. Uh, Revelation, what, what, what does he reference it as? Like a synagogue of Satan, right? And so we got some of those. We got synagogues of Satan, really, if we want to be honest. But the churches, as they're defined, Jesus is still king of those churches. And he is Lord over each one of them. And it doesn't really matter how that vote goes today because uh, man can vote however he wants and can, can come up with whatever doctrine he wants, but the truth of the scriptures will never be changed. So we might like certain things, we might like certain truths, and we might push other certain truths away. Everyone, you know... It's kind of weird when you talk about like favorite Bible verses. I try not to use it, even though I know I, I say it sometimes. I, I like particular. This is my favorite verse, or one of my favorite verses, right? Usually, because the Lord spoke to you about it, right, and kind of, somehow kind of used it. But even I think we can have favorite books of the Bible, which is really probably not a good idea. Because what when, what ends up happening is you camp out in those books. You're like, oh, it's time for my quiet time. Where am I? Where am I going to go? You know, First Corinthians. You know. I mean, is anyone's favorite book like Numbers? Why aren't you camping out in Numbers? I mean, come on. <clears throat> I can count the waves. <laughs> Get it, Numbers? <laughs> come on, y'all. <clears throat> but my point is, if we're not careful, and every preacher himself has to guard against this, and every believer has to guard against this, because everyone has their favorite topics, or we might call them hobby horses. And you have to be careful that you don't become a one-issue believer. You have to be careful of that. And if we're not careful, we end up being a one-issue believer, one thing that defines your entire Christianity. That's actually not right. That's not right. If you, want to, if you want to define, we, we look to the scriptures, and there's many key things, many principles, but it's not just like one issue. So we have to be careful that we're not a one-issue believer. Uh, the things that you are passionate for, God's given you those passions. So he wants you to be more vocal. <clears throat> and maybe there's certain issues he wants you to be the champion for, and he wants you to speak truth on that area. But you have to make sure that the glasses that you wear are not always seen through the lens of that issue. Because the only lens we have is the lens of Scripture, really. That gives us focus on a particular issue here. It gives us focus on a particular issue here. It gives us focus on a particular issue here. And that's not to say that some issues aren't more important than others. All right? I mean, we're called to be stewards of the earth. That's important for us to do. Um, some issues are, 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 are higher ranking than other issues. That, but, but where does that come from? Does that come from us because I, I like that particular issue? No, it comes from the Scripture. If the Scripture puts a weight on something, like the issue of life, then, then we put the same weight on it. And, if the, and, if, and if, the, if the weight is just a little half-pound weight that the Scripture puts on it, 
then, then we only put a half a pound weight ourselves on it. But, but don't <clears throat> end up defining yourself so narrowly that you miss what Scripture wants to say for your entire focus of life, your entire purpose. Um, otherwise, <clears throat> really in one sense, you're putting those chains back on, really in a different way. All of that to say this. Um, this is kind of my introduction, by the way, to my sermon. <laughs> and, uh, yeah. So, <clears throat> all of this to say that as we start to look at what it means to belong to the church, we're really talking about belonging to one another. But I want to make sure that each one of us here um, can truly believe, trust, live out, walk out that verse in Galatians 5. And I really think, if, if we kind of think about it, <clears throat> um, I mean, you know, David's talk on idols, I hit on idols. I mean, what, I mean, when you're talking about idols and knocking them down, what are you dealing with? I mean, you're really dealing with issues of freedom, right? And so that was one of the themes. Even Colossians 3. Did you guys read Colossians 3 like I encouraged you to, or you didn't have your quiet time today yet? Because you wanted to get to church on time, right? So I want you guys to read Colossians 3, 1 through 17, because I believe the Lord wants to speak to you through that. Okay? So do that. Um... I'm concerned about churchless Christianity. And you know what's really crazy is, is my uh, little word processor didn't even spell check that word. Like it's a real word, churchless. Um, and that's what I want to I hit on in the, in the future weeks. And I'm going to use some different illustrations um, to kind of draw that out a little bit, this idea of churchless Christianity, because that's a thing that's going on right around us. And if we're not careful, it'll be a thing going, going on in us. And the church, God has graciously blessed us with the church at large, but also the local church. And for us, that means this church. And so then the question is, um, it's really, you know, Steve's word was spot on. Like, what does that mean for us as members of Liberty Church. And that's what I will unpack in the next few weeks. Let's pray. Lord, we want to intercede for the United Methodists. Pray for those, uh, however many it was, roughly, I think, 800. They're going to vote. God, they're going to vote on something that is so crystal clear in the Scriptures. That's just what a place our culture has come. But Lord, there's believers... And that was 800, God. And I pray that you'd convict them to vote biblical truth. And that they would stand regardless of the cost. There's pastors there that might lose their jobs. There's congregations that might have to leave the denomination. I pray for boldness, God, and a conviction, as we read in Galatians, for them to stand firm. To stand firm on your truth, Lord. So, Lord, be there in the midst of their gathering and let your presence be clearly felt and seen 
by those 800. And Lord, we're a gathering of 100 or so each Sunday. And I ask God that for each one of us, that you would do a work in us, Lord. I pray that you would set any captives here that need to be freed. That you'd break the chains of bondage. That you'd bring liberation to them, God. And I do pray, God, as people come in here, they would experience true freedom, Lord, in Christ. And that they would know that they have a place here. They would know that we are a church that loves people well. And we acknowledge, Lord, it's only by your Spirit we can do that. In our flesh, we just make a big old mess of things, God. So let us walk by your Spirit, let us walk in your Spirit, and let us love through your Spirit, God. Our brothers and sisters in Christ, and the strangers that you bring in our midst. May we be hospitable, may we be kind, may we be gracious. May we speak the truth in love. Each one of us, God. So we ask you would have your way with us, Lord. Continue your work in us. Continue to mold us to the image of your Son. We love you. Amen.